Hi guys, welcome to Ample Cause, our justification. It's me, your host, Layla Cheek, and another episode of Hamlet Island here. I just wanted to um, document my memoirs once again. If anyone wants to join and listen to me, feel free. Um, some of the things that God's been um, pointing out to me through scripture and just um, on the island itself is um, this ability to um, get strong without him and to be strong without God and to uh, worry about vain things and, and body images and and um, strength that's not girded in, in, in him is a pretty popular thing right now in our culture and it seems to be um, more of a why bodily training has some value, you know, training godliness has value in every way because it impacts eternity and I think um we forget that um, our strength should come from Him first and foremost, and sometimes um, our appearance can change when that happens, and um, our form can change when that happens, and it's not um, by anything you do, and it's not uh, any of your your um, say. It's just someone else um, strengthening you, and we see that, you know. Well. In, um, where is my verse? Timothy, we, first Timothy, um, Paul was saying that, um, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. God appointed him. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, a persecutor, insolent opponent. So God gave him strength and appointed him because he judged him faithful. He wasn't going to man for this. But I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. So Paul was kind of like um, a modern day terrorist, if you will. He was a Jew among Jews, you know, from the tribe of Benjamin, a Pharisee among Pharisees. And, you know, grew up at, you know, the feet of Gamma Lil, who was one of the prominent, you know, rabbi teachers of the day and he was devout by any means under the law he said he was blameless and he was going around when christianity um first started breaking through um killing christians persecuting them to the death he said the whole council can test and verify that for me that i was taking them binding them putting them in prison and and persecuting them even to the to death and so he was out to get christians new believers and bind them them he had orders to do it and he would go take them, put them in prison, uh, persecute them, um, kill them, whatever it took. He wanted to stop Christianity. And he said, I acted ignorantly in unbelief. He was just ignorant of what God was doing and wasn't aware of God's new movement. He was kicking against the goats, you know, right? When God knocked him off his high horse and told him, uh, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? When you're persecuting uh, another Christian, that means... You're persecuting Jesus himself, and, you know, he's shown this bright light on him, and, you know, kind of humbled him in a sense, because even sometimes, like, Paul at that time, he had, he had some status, right? Like, he was um, a prominent figure at this point, and um, maybe even hanging out with some prominent people, and sometimes when you hang out with, you know, people that might be um, kings or leaders or have some status or prominence, it might change um, your character, it might change your morale, it might change what you normally do, or it might be, um, in a sense, um, 
they might cause you to act in ways that you wouldn't normally act, and they might um, cause you to do things that you wouldn't normally do, and so, you know, there's a lot of self-proclaimed this and that out there, and, you know, sometimes when we um, want to, you know, have one foot in the world and one foot in Christianity, we got to be, you know, extra careful that we're not doing stuff that's out of our character and out of Christianity and out of, you know, just hanging out with the crowd, you know, or out of just, like, you know, sitting up with, with the big dogs, so, you know, Paul, at the same time, you know, had some status like that, and God had to humble him and, and show him, like, hey, you're persecuting me here, and he said, so I acted ignorantly in unbelief, and I wasn't, you know, um, he was ignorant of what God was doing, he was ignorant, uh, he had some ignorance of of Christians, and so, and who should be in, in the faith, and, and what this movement was, and so, um, he said, and I received gra- the grace of the Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. As the saying is trustworthy and deserving full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the four worst, for mo- foremost. That I received mercy for this reason that in me the foremost Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience. And so Christ, you know, saves anyone he wants, right? Uh, uh, Saul here, Paul, a terrorist at the time, um, persecuting people, hating Christianity, you know, an enemy to Christianity at the time, right? Uh, Receive mercy for this reason, that in him, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe in him, to have eternal life. So God, he deems himself the worst sinner, you know, that whom... Christ had mercy on and saved him and showed him um, his perfect patience so he could be an example to those who were to believe. And he said, you know, I was, um, the Lord determined I was faith, appointed me for this, judged me faithful. He said, formerly I was a persecutor, a blasphemer, insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Jesus Christ. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Trustworthy. That Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm the foremost. He says, put your trust in that. In Christ Jesus who saves sinners foremost. Don't act ignorantly in unbelief. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me, the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who are to believe. So he said, I was kind of like a foreman, an example, you know, that shows Christ's patience, that if he could save someone, you know, as wretched as me, he could save anyone he wants. If I was an enemy to the, Christ- to the Christians at the time, well, he could save even a modern-day terrorist if he wanted to. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And so, uh, it just kind of highlights um, God's grace to whomever he chooses, whoever he, you know, deems faithful and judges. And we see that um, Nicodemus, right, he was um, a member of Sanhedrin, and he was um, a learned man. He had, you know, a great reputation. He was um, he was highly respected, and he knew, you know, um, the law and Judaism, and he was, um, very, um, uh, 
I don't know, it's time to find that he didn't want to risk his reputation to, um, to be associated with Jesus. And he didn't want reputation, his reputation to, um, be caught talking to Jesus or seeing, you know, following Jesus or anything like that. So he would go to Jesus at night, right? And, and try and learn what he had to say. Cause he had this, this general interest to, to know what Jesus was saying. So he would sneak out at night. But, um, it turns out that, you know, Jesus must have had some great influence on him after all. Because while we don't see, you know, the full story of Nicodemus, we do hear about him later on um, in John and um, during Jesus' um, um, burial. Uh, Nicodemus uh, went to Joseph of Arimathea, this uh, well-known uh, rich man, and um, asked for a pilot to give Jesus' body to him. And that would have been, like, really risky to go into this political leader and ask him to break some laws and bend the rules and um, to honor uh, Jesus' body at that time and to honor the Jewish law at this time and to give me this body. Uh, to, so he, Jesus had some impact on him. He had some influence on him because this man went to these political leaders to um, ask these things. So you know, there must have been some great impact that Jesus had in this guy's life. And then not only that, um, he Nicodemus took um, how they buried their dead at the time. How they do it? They took spices and, and ointments and they, you know, prepared the body thoroughly, just trenching it with all kinds of oils and lards and, and spices, made it smell good. And then they would wrap it like a mummy and wrap it and wrap it and wrap it and wrap it. And wrap it. And made his body um, um, prepared for burial. It says um, could have been over uh, 75 pounds of spices and lotions that they put on this guy. Well, on Jesus for for burial. But this guy went to get these things. And, and the time and the elaborate, intricate work he put into preparing for his burial. But there, sorry, I can't speak. His burial by getting pounds and 75 pounds of spices and lotions and oils to uh, strengthen this this body of Jesus um, for for death and then wrap it like a mummy in, in sackcloth and, and various um, cloth strips and prepare it, you know, for this extensive burial. Burial is just amazing. And um, we see that, you know, this, this uh, Pharisee that was uh, such a, such a chicken, you know, couldn't follow Jesus by day and, you know, wanted to sneak around at night um, to see what Jesus had to say and wanted to, you know, sneak around and hear from Jesus' teachings at night, but they wanted one to know. Uh, all of a sudden, gained a little, uh, little backbone, got a little strengthened in a girth, if we will. Not, you know, strength uh, bodily wise, but he got some inner girth all of a sudden after Jesus' death. And uh, he approached this uh, political leader and, um, you know, do this dangerous thing by asking him to uh, have Jesus' body so he can, like, wrap it and prepare it and pound it on him. So we see how um, Jesus must have had some great influence on him and changed his life in these ways that give him inner strength. All of a sudden, not outer strength, inner strength here to uh, approach some political leaders uh, to that extent of influence. How dangerous that would have been. Who, you know, nowadays, you know how hard it is to approach president even the people that work you know with them they have to go through prodigal and and you know all kinds of you know fine you know um 
ways to uh, order is, uh, find tapes to cut to get to him, you know? Like, not anyone could just throw stuff on his desk. Not anyone could just email, you know what I mean? So it was, like, very hard to get a hold of even, you know, some of these political leaders in their day and to approach them and to ask for these things. So obviously, you know, Jesus also had some impact on uh, Nicodemus, even though he was sneaking in by night and wouldn't admit it, or even though he's, you know, too scared to admit his faith at the time and, you know, didn't want to be associated with him or didn't want, you know, didn't want to know that he knew him or that he appreciated his teachings or he, you know, learned from him or, you know, cared for the spiritual movement that Jesus was doing, you know, like, Nicodemus, you got to be born again. Like, how do I enter my mother's womb, you know, and explain these things to him. So, obviously, he was um, very impacted by Jesus' ministry. Even during that time, we see that play out in John 19 when this, um, you know, little um hesitant shy uh not shy but maybe like a scaredy cat to be bold in his faith all of a sudden approaches political leaders and asks a bold thing and starts pounding the spice and then pounding the sackcloth and pounding the lard and oil and the you know fats all over jesus body to prepare for burial so we see that it could um could have been very impactful you know those few few moments in the night um, we also know that, you know, group training, um, is important in any sport and, you know, um, a three chord is hard to break, the Bible says, and sometimes it's, it's, um, easier to influence by, um, others that are with you or in a group with you and to um, not only hold, hold you up when you fall, but, you know, also influence you. And so um, the Bible tells us to um, spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so um, while, you know, some people can't always have, like, those corporate brick and mortar church to go to the bible does encourage us to um spur one another on towards love and good deeds and not give up meeting together and so you know a lot of times that might look um different all across the world and how you know you come together to um meet and spur each other on and love and good deeds and um you know, a lot of Christians can walk the walk and talk the talk, and, you know, sometimes you can play these parts, you know, if you're, um, if you're, uh, a cyclist, you know, you might have the cycle gear, and you might wear, like, you know, the, the right clothes for your bike ride, and have the right bikes, and, um, the right equipment and everything, but at the end of the day, you know, if you didn't put the work in, if you didn't, you know, go the distance, if you didn't put the hours and the time in, and, and, you know, research and, and just hours on your body to cycle, you wouldn't really know what you're doing. You might have the cycle gear, the right bike, you know, that's kind of like my kids right now, they're trying to figure out what their niche sport is. My youngest is nine, and so 
one one week he likes soccer, one like week he likes basketball, and then he hates basketball, and then, then he likes baseball, and then, then he wants to try hockey, and so he's trying to figure out, you know, like, what is he good at? And he has an older brother that, you know, is kind of honing out some of these sports right now, and he's trying to figure out where does he fit, and he doesn't want to, like, you know, copy his brother, but he wants to figure out, you know, what, is, what talents did God give me? What gifts did God give me? What, what can I hone up for, for my own? And so he's trying these different sports, and, you know, we get him the, we get him the soccer gear, we get him, like, the little net to put in our backyard, we get him the shin guards, and we get him the jersey, and we get him the shorts and the socks, and he has, you know, the ball and all the, you know, training stuff, and then, you know, he tries, and, you know, at the end of the day, you know, he's not, he's not a soccer player. He looks the part. He looks like he, he'd been playing for years, but he didn't know what to do. And I'm like, okay, this is how we dribble, son. You know, you got you can't use your hands. You toss it between your legs. You know, you got to go bounce off one foot to another. That's dribbling in soccer. And, you know, we got to teach him, like, this is how you play soccer. You got to put the time in to practice, you know, dribbling, getting used to coordinating your feet. You know, there's no hands here. How do you learn that? And so he looked the part. You know, he looked like he played for years. He looked like he was, you know, another kid you see, you know, in their soccer guard, baseball gear, getting ice cream. Like, he's part of the team. But, you know, he didn't put the time in. He didn't put the work in yet. He was just starting. He didn't have the experience. He didn't put the practice in. He doesn't have the hours and the time, the duration, and the commitment to dedicating and honing out the sport and making it his own yet. And so we can see that, too, with Christians that many Christians were born in the pew. You know, they are born... In church, born Christian families, and they look the part. They know the Christianese. They walk the walk. They talk the talk, and and they can, you know, smother it on like the best of them, right? And when you're around your Christian friends, you know, it's God bless you, you know, Amen, sister. And you know, we talk the talk, and you know, we can be, you know, Christianese around our Christian friends and say the right things, you know, and pretend like. We're all praise all the time and, you know, hallelujah and amen, this and God bless you, that. And, you know, we can really smooth it on when we're, you know, trying to play the part in a sense. But kind of the one of these fake roles, you know, God looks to the heart. And sometimes it's kind of like a lot of these people can um, put on these what you know the greeks call a hypocrito like a hypocrite right you wear this mask that's where hypocrisy comes from in the bible especially that you wear this mask where you're pretending you're someone you're not and you're going on the stage behind this mask pretending like you're um an actor you know and then we see the real you or we see like you know um flaws in this fake show that you're putting on this character that you have it's not lining up with the entirety of you that we see um in private or that we see in closed doors or we see um maybe you know in in the workplace or maybe on monday you know sunday sunday hour church everyone's got their sunday best on but then monday morning comes how are you in the office you know is it the same as you were you know sunday that one hour during church and so it's kind of like you god wants that um integrity even when no one's watching even Monday morning even like you know your character matters all the time and so it's hard to um judge Christians based on what we see sometimes because um a lot of it can be you know a show and so we got to make sure in our own spiritual walks are we um putting the time in are we putting, you know, the work into 
be Christians, <laughs> you know? Like, are we heeding to the Spirit? Are we allowing the Spirit to change us? Are we asking God to, to show us our sin and want to work on that? Are we, you know, putting the disciplines in of, you know, reading our Bible and, and spending time with God and praying and, you know, seeking Him and these things? And then, you know, how do we treat others in that? Because obviously, you know, if your vertical's right, your horizontal's going to be right. And that's what God was showing them in the wilderness right before they... He's like, you're going to live in community together. You're going to be in a society together. Let me teach you how to live before I give you this promised land. And so, these are your laws, you know. Honor me. You, like, get your vertical right, and then your horizontal will come. And so, it's kind of like, you know, if you have a problem horizontally, you still have a problem vertically. And so, what's wrong with your heart with God that you're not right with your fellow man, you know, horizontally. And so sometimes when we still have tensions or problems with, with someone, our, you know, people, our relationships, you know, take it back to God first and be like, you know, God, what what's going on with my heart here, you know? Let me see it like you see it. Let me see people how you see them. Let me, you know, get right with you first because it's spilling out horizontally in my relationships and it's spilling out in other areas too. So I think, you know, um, a lot of these things impact our relationship with God impacts, you know, so much of our life and so much of the way we treat people. And um, we see that even in um, Philemon, um, Paul's plea for uh, uh, Nisimus was this runaway slave that he had. And he says, accordingly... Though I'm bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man now, a prisoner also for Christ Jesus. So he's writing this letter, um, begging him to take back the slave. He's saying, I appeal to you for my child, Onesimus. So he's a spiritual child of his that kind of grew up um, learning um, Christianity from, from Paul, um, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you. But now he's indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on my behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel. But I prefer to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. For this is perhaps why he parted from you, while well, that you might have him back forever, no longer as a bondservant, but... um more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me, but how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord. And um, Philemon uh, was, a, was a slave owner who uh, lost his slave, and he's, Paul's begging him, please, uh, the slave ran away from you. He's saying, please, he told Onesimus, go back to him. And he's telling um, Philemon, please accept your slave back, your bondservant back and don't you know accept them back just in the flesh don't accept them back just as a bond servant don't accept them back just as your slave but he's a brother he's a christian accept him back as a christian now and he's like this is um no longer the bond servant but more than a bond servant as a brother especially to me but how much more to you both in the flesh and in the lord so he's saying like how much more to you to accept a brother back? Don't accept a slave back. Accept a brother back. 
he's like, this is why he probably ran me. He got harshly treated, you know, as a slave, and he was running from him. And Paul pleads with him and urges him to go back to your bondservant and, and submit to him. And he tells Philemon, accept him back, you know, not under compulsion, but lovingly on your own accord as a Christian, you know. This is a brother. Accept him back as a brother, not just in the flesh, not just as your servant, not as your bondservant. No, accept him as a brother. Welcome him back as a brother. And, and you know, how much more to welcome back as a brother, not a bondservant, not a slave, not, you know, under compulsion for being this harsh uh, taskmaster, master over this runaway slave. That was punishable, you know, if a slave ran away. Like, don't, you know, welcome him back under compulsion because that's, you know, what you're supposed to do. Like, no, welcome him back um, as a brother and be, um, all the more grateful for that. And then, um, there was another verse, um, I wanted to share two, um, you know, King David, um, when he was being hunted by Saul all the time, and Saul kept pursuing him and pursuing him and, um, trying to kill him, trying to, um, entrap him, trying to, he's going to be the next king, so Saul was trying to harm him in a great, great way, didn't want him to um, be king and didn't want him anything of him. And so what he would do many times would, you know, he would get alone and, and hide in, in, in caves or in the wilderness or wherever he could, you know, and he would just write. That's how we see some of the song, songs we have today from David, some of his writings, you know, and he would just sit there and, um, write these poems, these, um, writings to God about how he felt, about what's going on, about, um, this pursuit of Saul and we see that um you know at the time he probably didn't know millions of people were going to be reading them later right he didn't know it's going to be making the bible <laughs> he probably didn't know that we're going to be looking at them today and you know meditating on them and, and seeking God from them and, and have his writings today to read and be like wow I can't believe David went through that this is how he felt when he went through that that's crazy I can't believe when Saul was chasing him and he hit over here and that was going on. This is what he was thinking. This is how he felt. And then, you know, he still presses God, you know, and he, he's still, you know, seeking God and he still sees God's hand. And like, wow, I can't believe, you know, oh, this time he felt mad or like this time he has anger. He was crying out or he thought God, you know, left him here or like, you know, what, why didn't God come through or help him or, you, you know, we see his complaints, his pain, his sorrow, his joys, his, you know, we see it. Oh, and his all then he never probably at the time thought, Oh, I'm, you know, writing this for twenty first century America, you know, or people are gonna be reading this all the time for, throughout history, it's gonna be in the Bible you know, like no, he was just meditating, writing his thoughts and journaling what's going on between him and God and, and these events in his life and here we have his whole book today and we're reading it and we see like, Wow, we cannot believe the things you had to go through and we cannot believe all this happened to you and it's just great that we can see his writings today and know how he feels and um 
his poetry and everything he penned at the time was just like so profound and still useful today for us to um see God working and all that you know even afterwards and you know sometimes we think like oh well how do you always you know praise God or God my salvation salvation or you know he always kind of um tied back to God and I always seen like how God worked through that and many times he maybe went back after these worked out or after you've seen how God handled that and maybe added that to his journal, you know? Like, God, you solved this prayer or you, you answered this prayer or you solved this problem. He made it went back and said, praise God, you know, God, my salvation, let me still praise you, you know, or like, return to rest my soul, you know, like, you don't know, like, when he went back and finished those praises, like, these are like kind of his, um, his memoirs, if you will, his poetry of what was happening and how he, um, worshiped God during those times. And so that's why wisdom is um, so important and why um, we see not just having Bible knowledge, but knowing what to do with that knowledge and how to apply it and how to live it out and how to um, use wisdom to know like when to bite your tongue and when to speak, what to share and how much. And, you know, Proverbs talks a lot about when to remain quiet and, you know, when it's folly to just um, and foolish to just... Uh, speak a lot and stuff so knowing um the bible isn't enough but we need wisdom too on how to navigate our relationships how to navigate situations how to navigate um navigate things that happen to us and so applying um godly uh wisdom and knowledge to situations is um huge we need understanding we need to um get wisdom it, it calls out in the marketplace right is this call for for anyone <laughs> get wisdom please you know and how important it is to um navigate our our life and our situations and our especially our troubles with um wisdoms and disagreements um and it's just kind of like you know While Jesus um, was in Bethany in the home of Simon the leper, um, a woman came with this alabaster jar, right? This very expensive perfume. And she kind of, well, she was the one that led the way and um, poured this on his head as he was reclining at the table. And the disciples saw this, they were indignant and said, Why this way? So she was kind of the one preparing the burial there. And um, the disciples were mad because this was a very expensive nard. It was a very expensive. A perfume that would have took like um, years of salary to save up, and she just took it and started, you know, anointing Jesus with it for burial, and um, and um, with her hair even, which would have been, you know, offensive at the time for many of the Jews, and so they were like indignant over it, and they're like, "Why this waste? This was so expensive. She could give it to the poor." And Jesus said, "You know, leave her alone. You know, like." She's done a beautiful thing here, and it'll be told forever in memory of, of the gospel, you know, what she's done as she prepared this. And, you know, it's kind of, um, it's easy to say you love people, but her acts right there really showed that, you know, this was a very costly thing to me, and this was a very dear thing to me, and it was very expensive, and, you know, it was a great sacrifice that had to be done for you and why many people say like oh I love you or like you know they say um spiritual gifts you know without love 
one might give us life, but if you don't have love, you know, what good is that? You know, so, you know, how important are, you know, love with your spiritual, you know, desire the, the higher gifts, but, you know, more than that. Love is patient and kind and bears all things and believes all things and love never ends. As for prophecy, they'll pass away. As for tongues, you know, these spiritual gifts, they'll cease and, you know, they'll be gone. But love, you know, will last even into eternity. So, um, you know, I earnestly desire the higher gifts. And there's an order to um, spiritual gifts and the hierarchy of spiritual gifts. He says you should earnestly, you know, desire to prophesy you know and don't forbid speaking in tongues but all things should be done decently in in, in order and above all you know you should um use them and and seek love in these and so you know we should have this um this desire to have uh to utilize our spiritual gifts and you know by all means you know um earnestly desire to prophesy which is you know second under um, apostleship and, and spiritual gifts but he says you know to the grace of these is love and you know to um do all these with with love because um you'd be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal you know if you have if you speak in tongues and you know you don't have love or if you have prophetic powers and you don't understand all mysteries and all you know, understand mysteries and knowledge but you don't have you know love under those it's um it kind of defeats the purpose <laughs> and it's not um, anything of eternal value <clears throat> um, and so we see that a lot in um, in a lot of our issues on the island as well in um, Malachi um, God reminds the, the priest you know like hey um, you're offering animals that are lame and and sick and blind and blemished and <coughs> excuse me you're taking these uh, sickly um, lambs and offering them as a polluted and profane defiled offering to me like I'm a great king he says should I you know accept that from you he said I you know I wish that there was one among you who had shut the door that you might not kindle fire on my altar in vain like that's just vanity and you're kindling these fires in vanity i wish that there was someone that would shut the doors of of your temple and uh not even let you be able to offer those anymore because you're taking um these um lame sick polluted blemish um blind animals and offering them as your as your best before God, he's like present that to your governor. Will he accept that or show you any favor? So the Lord of House, he's like that's evil, and is it not evil to offer these when you have you know something better to present? And it's just you know kind of like God wants our our best and and our first first fruit, and like you know they're giving God what's lame and sick and blemished and he so that that's evil that shows like your contempt for this offering that shows your content in God's work that's just vain and vain offerings and it's like I wish someone would you know shut the doors to your temple and stop your vanity and your kindling of the fire um in there and your 
your worthless, um, polluted, defiled offerings. And he says, um, Cursed be the cheat who has a male in his flock, vows it, and yet sacrifices to the Lord was blemished. He says, I'm a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name will be feared among the nations. You should be cursed if you vowed to offer me something, you know, the, the male of your flock, and uh, you instead come before me and offer something's blemished. <clears throat> and he says, like, your um, disdain and your um, lack of regard for spiritual things and your um, taste for... Um, ministry and in the holiness of God in this and you know like take off your shoes you're on holy ground you know like like you're just staying for it and you're contempt for it and like how you made this just such a common thing because you're you've been in for so long you know you've been around it for all these years now and it's just like you lost the holiness of it you lost the, the ministry working it you lost you know the zeal of God and what he's doing in this and your contempt for that is um profane my name among the nations and he's like you're making uh my name look horrible to all the nations that are watching and you're making christianity in this case judaism you know look look my name look horrible <laughs> he's like y- you're profaning my name by your lack of fervency by your lack of like showing holiness by your you know disdain in your ministry as you blurring these polluted and profane um lame and blemished defiled animals to offer before me he's like from the rising of the sun to the setting my name will be great among the nations in every place incense will be offered to my name in a pure offering for my name will be great among the nations of the lord of hosts but you profane it when you say that the lord's tail is polluted and his fruit that is the food may be despised and you say what a weariness this is and you snort at it and you bring what is taken by violence what is lame and sick and you bring it here to your offering should i accept that from your hand and just a like lack of any regard for any holiness in it you know really says like my name is being profane even to the gentiles into the nations and <clears throat> that's not how it's supposed to be like my name is supposed to be exalted in every nation everyone's supposed to know my name and you are doing a disservice to me by your contempt and your disregard in these areas. So he, um, he, you know, chastises them here and calls them to account. Um, we see again in Jonah, you know, God tells Jonah he didn't want to go to Nineveh and tell, you know, these evil Assyrians, these people that, you know, were their enemies. He thought they were like, you know, like a modern-day terrorist. He didn't want to tell them, hey, you know, God tells you to repent. He didn't want them to be saved. He didn't want them to repent. <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't want them to hear the message, and he's running from God. At the end of it, we hear God say, like, should I not pity Jonah? Should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which there are more than 120,000 persons who don't know their right hand from their left, and also that much cattle? And he kind of tells Jonah, like, that's how we end, you know, this whole book of Jonah. And we don't know Jonah's action or reaction to that, but, or his answer, but, you know, he's like, hey, uh, is it not my prerogative? Is it not my right? Should I not, you know, have pity on this Nineveh, this country that, you know, this great city that has more than 120,000 persons that don't know the right hand from their left. They're just ignorant. And they don't know any better. 
they don't know right from left. They're just left in, you know, ignorance, spiritual ignorance. And he's like, if you can't at least, you know, pity these people, human beings of mine, can you at least have, like, low compassion on the cattle? The cattle's gonna get destroyed by my rats. Can you at least care for the, the animal, maybe? Like, come on, Jonah. But we don't hear Jonah's answer. <laughs> We're hoping his heart changed after that. Um, another time we see um, in Genesis, well, back when um, Cain killed Abel in the course of um, time, uh, they brought their offerings. Um, God says to Cain, Where's Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? I said, what have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield its strength to you. You shall be a fugitive and a wonder on the earth. He said, uh, your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground. And it opened his mouth to receive your brother's blood. And your hands are full of blood. And that ground is going to be cursed. And it will no longer yield its strength to you. It's not going to yield to you anymore its strength. You're not going to take it from it. You will be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. He's not going to yield its strength to you anymore, uh, King. Sorry. Your hands are dripping with blood, and his blood is crying out from the ground. Be a fugitive. Be a wonder. And he said, Lord, my, my punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, today you have driven me away from the ground, and from, my, and from your face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and wonder on earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But I said, not so. I'll put a seal on you. I'll put a mark on you. I'll, I'll put a target on you. Whoever finds you won't kill you. I'll mark you and seal you and make sure we know where you're at all the time. We'll keep our eye on you. Don't worry, King. You won't get away very far. We'll put special marks on you, seals on you. We'll know where you're at at all times. Don't worry. If anyone kills Cain, vengeance shall be taken on him sevenfold. So they put all kinds of uh, seals and marks and uh, targets on him. And, uh, you know, let the fugitive rest at ease over here, right? Because it helps to know God. Well, back in. Let's see. Second Corinthians, it reminds us, Paul reminds us to, uh, you know, you're not supposed to watch your fellow Christian. You're not supposed to watch someone else, examine them, test them. You guys, no, examine yourself. See whether you are in the faith. Test yourself. Do you not realize about that about you? Is it not realized yet that Christian is in you? Has it not been realized? Like, unless you indeed failed to meet the test, I hope you'll find out that you haven't failed. Like, we don't want you to appear to have met the test, but you really have failed it. We want you to actually have met the test and appear so. And he's like, uh, examine yourself. You don't need to examine those sheep. You don't need to say, I'll search my sheep. You examine yourself. You test yourself. You see whether yourself is in the faith or not. That's your job. 
you need to know, you know, for sure. We don't want you to have the appearance of me in the test, but really failing. Right? We don't want you to be like, you know, a, a public, uh, a private failure, but a public uh, success. How do they say that? So he's like, uh, we hope that you may appear to have met the test, but that you may do what is right, though we may seem to have failed. Even though you might be doing what's right, maybe you might have the appearance of not of failing, but make sure you appear, not only to have met the test, but you are doing what is right and um, test yourself in that. You don't need to worry about you know what your neighbor is doing, but test yourself in that. to add to you about heritages and genealogies and some of these debates that come up um, especially in the church world nowadays and the importance of heritages or you know um, genealogies while we want to leave a spiritual heritage for our children you know that's good and godly and biblical but you know guys don't have quarrels about these things and don't have um, you know divisions over these um, genealogies and things and um, the verse God gave me for that was, you know, um, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. And so we see that you leave your father and your mother, you leave your physical, you know, <clears throat> family, your physical heritage and now you are joined one with your spouse and this is a new uh covenant before god where you know the three of you um are in this union before god and it's like a new um family he establishes and you know what god has joined together let no man separate separate and we see that you know as christ loved the church and that was his bride you know we see this picture of marriage and and this um spiritual um picture that he has um intended in that and so um that's a good example of how we leave our father and mother and our you know physical family or descendants and we we cling to our wife we cling to our husband our spouse and you know now we're this new this new family this new covenant this new um covenant before god and we're joined together as one one flesh you know like who could separate that and so we just see the beauty in um god's plan for um, the spiritual family. And we see that again um, in Genesis when Abraham went to Egypt with uh, Sarai, his uh, wife. Now, it, Genesis twelve ten tells us there was a famine in the land. And the, the famine was so severe that uh, they had to go to Egypt. It says, Abraham went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. So it must have been a really bad um, case of uh, hunger, starvation uh, case with these guys here. So he had to go to Egypt. And he said, um, I know you're a woman beautiful in appearance, Sarah. And when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife. So I know when the Egyptians see you, they'll look at this and be like, oh, that's just a little shady there. You're a woman beautiful in appearance. And they'll catch on to, to everything that's going on here. So uh, say that you're my wife, then the, they will, because that's why they'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say that, you, 
Sorry, I bought that. It says, the Egyptians will see you. They'll say, this is his wife. They'll kill me, but they'll let you live. Say you're my sister, then may go well with me because of you. Then my life may be spared for your sake. So he says, uh, when the Egyptians see you, they'll say, this is his wife, and they'll kill me. But they'll let you live. Say you are my sister, that may go well with me because of you. So he knew what he did was wrong, and he knew the the Egyptians would come in here and see this. They would know, and they'd find him, punish him, you know, maybe um, tell him to get off the land, or you know, maybe try and like, you know, put some hefty um, taxes on him or something, and um, interest maybe, and not let him. Uh, they'll kill him and take his wife at worst. And usually they take the women and use those for. Um, in their harems or in, you know, trade purposes as commodities, you know, get some sheep, some cattle off of that and use the women in those senses to make alliances or get some, you know, extra property and commodities. And so they'll let you live, but uh, they'll kill me. So you're my sister, so uh, it goes well with me because of you. And that my life may be spared for your sake. So when Abram entered Egypt, the Egyptians saw that the woman was very beautiful. And when the princes of Pharaoh saw her, they praised her to Pharaoh. And the woman was taken to Pharaoh's house. And for her sake, he dealt well with Abraham. So Pharaoh comes in and the boys praise her, praise her to Pharaoh. Like, yeah, she's beautiful. He takes her into um, his house. And for her sake, he softens Abraham's blow a little bit. Doesn't find him so much. Doesn't, you know, rough him up in the locker room like he should. And, you know, actually treats him pretty well. What happens? For her sake, he uh, dealt well with Abraham, gave him sheep, oxen, male donkeys, male servants, female servants, female donkeys, and kill. All of a sudden, Abraham's getting richer by the day. He's getting rich already, and now he has all kinds of extra herds and camels and uh, sheep. And uh, you know how they measured the promise in the time with, at the time with their herds and whatnot. And uh, he's getting all kinds of uh, commodities over here from Pharaoh. Because of uh, because Sarah, for her sake, he dealt well with him. And all of a sudden, he has all kinds of <coughs> excuse me uh, gains and benefits in um, uh, uh, you know commodities and assets to him. And you know, if it was up to Pharaoh, he probably would have came in there and killed him right away, swooped up everything he had, maybe got rid of him, beat him up a couple times, and said, Sayonara, buddy, and let me take your wife, and you're out of here. But no, for her sake, he dealt well with her. With him. And so we see um, how that kind of um, plays out uh, later on. And how, you know. He's been, Jacob's been grabbing, you know, Esau's heel in the womb there. Well, going back to Ecclesiastes, we see how Solomon, you know, the wisest man who ever lived, is a little uh, unhappy with the business that God gave him. He says, uh, it's an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. God gave the children of man uh, an unhappy business. I've seen everything that's done under the sun, and behold, it's all vanity. 
It's all striving after the wind. It's vain pursuits, worthless pursuits. It's all superficial, vain things. They're here for vanity. It's a vain, a vain business. God gave the children a man. What? God would give the children, children a man a, a vain business to be busy with? It's like striving after the wind, he said. It's like chasing hot air. It's like chasing gas all day. Chasing after that hot air all day in the wind. Such a vain business we got. Sitting around chasing hot air. Pumping gas all day. What's crooked cannot be made straight. And what's lacking can't be counted. It's saying like if something's burnt, if something's gone, if something's missing, if something's lacking, you can't count it. It's gone. It's missing. If something's uh, destroyed, it's just not there anymore. We can't count that. It's gone. He's, you know, I applied my heart to know wisdom, to know madness and folly, and I perceived this also is but striving after the wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Like, man, it only brought me more sorrow to know. What a horrible thing. Sometimes it's better to just pretend like everything's peachy and we don't know and just pretend it didn't happen and what doesn't know won't hurt, right? Don't tell anyone. Better off if they didn't know. Keep it concealed. And God says, you know, like, these things, well, Paul's saying to Titus here, that these things are profitable. Devoting yourselves to good works. Those who have believed in God may be careful to devote themselves to good works. Not vain things, not chasing after gas and hot air and wind and, and you know, busyness of mankind. That's just vain pursuits, worthless things. He says that that's unprofitable things, um, he say, says, are I'll get to that. But he says, um, those who believe in God should devote themselves to um, good works and be careful to, to devote yourself to that. These are excellent and profitable. Like, this thing is trustworthy. Invest in this. Trust this. It's a trustworthy thing. It's profitable to you. Uh, devote yourself to good works. It's excellent and profitable. But avoid foolish controversies, genealogies, dissensions, and quarrels about the law. They're unprofitable and worthless. He says, uh, avoid controversies and genealogies. Let's look at tangled up inheritages, genealogies, who came from who and who. It's unprofitable. It's worthless. Faint. Don't worry about genealogies. He says, uh, quarrels about the law, tick for tackle over the law, unprofitable. Don't argue about the law. It has nothing to do with it. Avoid it. Avoid it. It's unprofitable and worthless. As for a person who steers up division, after warning them once, then twice, have nothing more to do with them. Saying, avoid them. They have nothing to do with these people that steer up these divisions. It, knowing that such a person is warped, sinful, and so can them. So he's saying, these are just worthless, unprofitable things to be arguing about. Don't devote yourself to those. Don't have anything. Avoid them. Interest in this. Good works. That's excellent and profitable. Devote yourself to it. And then, um, 
we find out, well, there's some that have um, held to the teachings of the Nicolaitans here, and God warns them, you know, like you have a few um, that have been um, putting stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel. Someone's put, a stu- someone's put stumbling blocks before the sons of Israel. And they're teaching them to eat food, sacrifice to idols, and to um, practice sexual immorality. Now, practice isn't like a one-time thing. It wasn't like a two-time It's a habitual, sinful practice of sexual immorality that's going on here. And he's saying... Uh, they're also holding to these false teachings of the Nicolaitans. So repent. And if not, I'll sin more against them. You with the sword in my mouth. He's like, there's someone there putting these stumbling blocks in front of the sons of Israel. And they're teaching them to practice sexual immorality. They're eating food uh, to idols. And um, they're holding false teachings, promoting false teachings of the Nicolaitans all over the place. He's like, you better repent or I'll come against you and war with the, against you with a sword in my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. <clears throat> Excuse me. He says, to the one that conquers, I'll give him some of the hidden manna. So he was very serious about this, you know, stolen block put on before the, the sons of Israel and the immorality that's been practiced there. Um, and then Genesis tells us, well, <clears throat> how come? Why? Well, we hear here that the earth was corrupt in God's sight. The earth was filled with violence. God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said, No, I've determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. So we have nothing but corruption and violence. And God is just grieved to the heart that he says, I will destroy them from the earth. Nothing but corruption and violence. And he tells Noah, you know, to make the ark. And Noah and his family members are the only ones saved. And he does destroy the rest. We see again um, with the kind of um, the prophecies against uh, King Ahab. Um, he, want, he used to seek these prophets and wonder, like, should I go to battle? Should I not? Will it turn out in my favor? Will it not? And all of them would tell him what he wants to hear, right? No one's going to tell the king something that he doesn't want to hear. It might be dangerous. So essentially they would, you know, they weren't real prophets of God. They would just tell the, him whatever he wanted. And so there's one but. Um, Micaiah, who was from actually from God, and he couldn't go against what the Lord said or what the Lord would tell him, so he couldn't lie. He wasn't a lying prophet, and the king hated him because he always um, prophesied evil because of that. And it says, um, Jehoshaphat said, "Let not the king say so." Then the king of Israel, well, let me back up. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat. There's yet one man by whom we may inquire of the Lord, Micaiah, the son of Imlah. But I hate him, for he never prophesies good concerning me, but evil. 
And Jehoshaphat said, Let not the king say so. And then the king of Israel summoned an officer and said, Bring quickly Micaiah, the son of Imla. Now the king of Israel and Jehoshaphat, the king of Judah, were sitting on their thrones, arrayed in their robes, at the threshing floor, at the entrance of the gate of Samaria. And all the prophets were there, prophesying before them. And Zedekiah, the son of Canana, I don't know how to say his name right, Canana, made for himself horns of iron and said, Thus says the Lord, With these you shall push the Syrians until they're destroyed. So he made horns of iron and he says, Thus says the Lord, With these push the Syrians until you destroy them. And all the prophets prophesied so. Yeah, yeah. Go up to reign with Gilead and triumph. The Lord will give it into your hands, king. Triumph over them. Go, go, go. Take your horns of iron. Push these Syrians. And then they went to ask Micaiah. And the messengers who sent to summon Micaiah said to him, Behold, the words of the prophets with one accord are favorable to the king. Let your word be like the word of the one, one of them and speak favorably. Uh, they're all in one accord and they all say the same thing to the king go you'll triumph go push those stairs with uh, your horns of iron and you know conquer them destroy them let, let your word be like the rest of them but um, Micaiah said uh, as the Lord lives what the Lord says to me that I'll speak and when he had come to the king the king said to him Micaiah shall we go to Ramoth Gilead to battle or shall we refrain and he answered him, Go up and triumph. The Lord will give it into your hands. But the king said to him, How many times shall I make you swear that you speak to me nothing but the truth in the name of the Lord? He said, And he said, I saw all Israel scattered on the mountains as sheep that have no shepherd. And the Lord said, These have no master. Let each return to his home in peace. And the king of Israel said to Jehoshaphat, Did I not tell you that he won't prophesy good concerning me? Nothing but evil. And so he hated him because of that, because he could only render what the Lord would tell him, and he wouldn't, you know, tell the king what he wanted to hear or prophesy lies like the fake false prophets, false teachers, and, you know, others were doing. And so he hated him because of that. Well, we see um, some of the reasoning behind that was, well, um, Haman, who, um, oops, took the king's, uh, signet ring, which essentially, um, was the king's, uh, signature and seal and would write letters on the king's name and, and seal them with his, uh, signet ring. Uh, did that as well and he made an edict and with this edict he wrote these letters to let's see it says the king's scribes were summoned uh, he was sent to the king of Hedgeworth uh, the king's scribes were summoned on the 13th day of the fourth, first month 
and the edict, according to all that Haman commanded, was written to the king's satraps, to the governors over all the provinces, to the officials of all the peoples, to every province in its own script, every people in its own language. It was written in the name of King Ahasuerus, sealed with the king's signet ring. Letters were sent by carriers to the king's provinces with instructions to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all Jews of this ethnic group, young and old, women and children, in one day. So he wrote these letters to all the governors, all the officials, all the satraps, all the provinces, all who's who among them, and anyone with authority or power. And even, the, it says um, later, there's a proclamation made to all the people that they were to destroy, to kill, to annihilate all this ethnic group, young and old, women, mothers, children, you name it, uh, in one day. And this was an edict that he wrote. So he made this official, sealed it, sent these sealed letters to all these prominent people, the governors, officials, um, <clears throat> satraps, uh, kings, and, and made a proclamation um, to the people and said to uh, annihilate this group. And so we see that happening um, in these in these chapters playing out. Well, in these chapters happening. <laughs> and so um, the copy of the document was issued as a decree in every province and by a proclamation to all the peoples to be ready for that day. And they were to um, plunder their goods. On uh, the 13th day of the 12th month, which is the month of Adar, and to plunder their goods. And a copy of it was issued and sent out the decree. And they sat down uh, to drink. The city was thrown in confusion. And so we see um, all that uh, explains a lot. <laughs> Well, I hope you enjoyed this episode of um, Hamlet Island and Ample Cause, Our Justification. It's always uh, my pleasure to share these memoirs with you. I just wanted to end with this um, quick note and prayer. Um, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of age. Amen. Well, thank you guys for your time with me, and um, stay tuned for more. And thanks for Anchor for anchoring us down. See you soon.